This morning I want to speak to you on a worshipper of God. Hallelujah. Be a worshipper of God. Tell somebody, be a worshipper of God. Hallelujah. What does it mean to worship God? You know, many times we, we always think that whenever we hear the word worship, we think in terms of songs and music. But I want you to know that there's something else also beyond just songs. Whenever you hear the word worship, when the Bible says we should worship God, it is not only referring to singing songs, but it also reflects on our conduct. Amen. Hallelujah. The reason why I won't do certain things is because I worship God. See, those who worship Satan, those who serve at satanic shrines, they conduct themselves in a particular way. And when you ask them why they won't do certain things, they tell you because they worship something. It informs their conduct and their behavior. In the same way, when we become worshippers of God, I want us to move beyond singing to action. Amen. Hallelujah. And this morning, I want us to start off from Galatians chapter 2 and the verse number 20 to 21. It says, my old self has been crucified with Christ." It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Church, if you are born again, I want you to know that Christ lives in you. That means that you are the dwelling place of Christ. And you see, whenever it comes to our conduct in worship, one of the reasons why it is a very important area to pay attention to is because that is the very nature of God. And the reason why Satan can never defeat God is this very nature. So the reason why God calls us to live a life worthy of our calling as Christians is to make us have the same nature as Christ so that the devil can defeat us. That means we will not begin to have authority over the powers of darkness. The reason why scripture talks about holiness is not to disturb your freedom, but it's actually to give you that stature and that character that the devil cannot defeat because that is the very nature of God. The Bible says God himself declared, I am holy, therefore be holy. Amen. Now it says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. It is no longer you who live, it is Christ who lives in you. When you understand this thing, you will not say, I have my body and what I like, I want to do with it. No, you are no longer your own. You belong to Christ. Amen. And so most of the time, we want to have the grace and the anointing that Moses walked in. We want to walk in the anointing that Paul carried. But I want you to know, this is the conduct that carries that anointing. It is the very nature of Christ. So when you become a worshiper of God, it's not only limited to singing. But it is more of lifestyle. Amen. And I found out that when Jesus tells us to go and preach the gospel, I have realized from the word of God that you can preach a powerful sermon with your lifestyle better than your lips. Because sometimes our lips say one thing and our body is saying something else. And our body's action is more of a loud witness than our lips. Are you here this morning? The Bible says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I therefore do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. Now, this is a very powerful statement. He says, I don't treat the grace of God lightly. I don't treat the grace of God in vain. When we become born again, I want you to understand that the grace of God that saved us must not be treated in vain. When we don't live our lives in line with the spirit that is in us, we are treating the grace of God in vain. And then the Bible says something very strange. He says, for if keeping the law, could make us right with God, 
then there was no need for Christ to die. Now, this is very serious, and it also sounds a little bit controversial. That if keeping the law, the law Paul was referring to is the, the law of the Old Testament. Now, the Jews and majority of the people Paul was witnessing to had encountered the Jews. Some of them were Jews, and some of them believed that if they, if they carry on doing the Mosaic law, the law of Moses, then they'll be saved. So there was no need for Christ. Now, this is a very important thing for you to understand. Many times we do earthly rituals without having an encounter with Christ himself. But after we have had an encounter with Christ, our lives should change. Amen. And when he talks about the law, he's referring to the ceremonial laws. You see, when we talk about the law of God, you can even see it summarized in the Ten Commandments. But when we talk about the law, you will see that the law is divided into two parts. There is the ceremonial laws and there are the moral laws. The ceremonial laws, all of them ended at the cross. The ablutions, the washings, the circumcisions, the yearly sacrifices of animals and all of those things all ended at the cross because all of those ceremonies were a type of the reality to come. They were shadows of the reality to come. When you study the Old Testament, you realize that there are things that were done. They are shadows. They are forecasts of the reality to come. Whenever you see the shadow, it tells you that the real image is coming. The real person is on the way. So the Bible tells us in Colossians and Galatians that the things that were done in the Old Testament, they were shadows and pictures or what we call in theology, they are types of the reality to come. So the washing and cleansing and the animals that were sacrificed, they all represent an innocent someone who is coming to die for a guilty someone. All the animals that had to be killed to cover the sins of people, the animals did not sin. And God painted that first picture when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. The Bible says God comes in and announces that the seed of the woman shall bruise the head of the serpent. And then the Bible tells us, then God clothed them with the skin of an animal. They covered themselves with some bushes. But it was a poor covering for sin because whilst they covered themselves with the bushes of the, of the trees, they don't realize that they were already withering. The bush was already withering. The, the skin, that the thing that they used to cover themselves was a poor replacement. So God actually covered them with animal skin. It was sending a message that an innocent animal that did not sin will have to cover your sins. And so he clothed them with that. And so everything we see in the Old Testament was God painting a picture of the real thing to come. So under the ceremonial laws, Christ fulfilled all on the cross. He became the blood that was washed, that was shed so that our sins can be forgiven. Christ became everything that all the Old Testament animals represented. Christ became everything that all the washings and the ablutions and everything that happened. Christ became what circumcision was supposed to be. The putting away of the flesh. So Christ came to put to death the flesh so that the spirit man can live. Are you here this morning? Glory be to Jesus. So these ceremonies, these ceremonial laws that they were told to do every time. And when they sinned, they had to kill an animal to cover it. The, the blood of animals and goats could not wash away our sins. It only covered it. When you cover something, if somebody comes to uncover it, they'll still find it there. If, if you're, you, you sweep all the dirt in your room because I'm coming to visit you and it's short notice and you sweep all the dirt and put it under the carpet in the house, after I leave, you must remove them because otherwise they will breed some things. Isn't it? And if, 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 I, if I become very mischievous and decide to lift carpets, which I'm not supposed to be doing when I come to visit you, then I'll see all the dirty things that were there. You see, so things that cover don't actually wash. But the blood of Jesus does not cover our sins. It washes it. It bleaches it out of memory. Hallelujah. And so these things that happened in the Old Testament were types of the reality to come. I need to give you this foundation. And I know I have taught you a lot, but I need to do this revision again. Amen. And that's why many of the things we see in the Old Testament, they are 
shadows of the reality to come. God was painting a picture. The real thing happened on the cross. That's why the Bible says in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that the Jesus Christ, our Passover, has been crucified for us. Because the Passover lamb, when they were leaving Egypt that night, the Bible says that God gave clear instructions that Israel, for them to be delivered that night, the blood of a male lamb without spot. Are you Look at the picture. Exodus 12. A male lamb without spot. That is without sin. Firstborn too. Not just male, but firstborn. Amen. And then the Bible says, by that blood, Israel was delivered out of Egypt that night. Because an angel of death came into the land. And he says, when I see God, say, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And that night, the Bible says a Passover lamb was killed. Its blood was put on the lintels of the buildings of everybody who is a Jew. And anyone who sought refuge among the Jews. And they were saved that night by the blood. Egypt represents the world. And the blood of Jesus Christ is that blood of the Passover lamb. That if we will be delivered from the world, it would need the blood of a spotless lamb. Amen. Firstborn spotless lamb. Then certain instructions were given concerning the lamb. The Bible says that its bones must not be broken. If you look at the instructions in Exodus 12, its bones must not be broken. Then the Bible tells us in the book of John and in the book of Luke and in the book of Matthew, at the end of Christ's life, on the cross when he was crucified, the Bible says he was crucified together with some two thieves. And the Bible says that because it was getting to the evening and the day for the preparations of the Passover, for them to eat that Passover that day, Christ was crucified that very day. And the Bible tells us that when he hung on the cross, because it was getting to the evening, the people went to Pilate and requested that they need to hurry up because it's getting late. And the law also says that nobody should hang on there towards the evening. So the Bible says the soldiers were then sent to fast track the death of those on the cross. And the Bible says one of the ways that the Romans fast track the death of people through torture is to break their bones whilst they have been crucified. And so they broke the bones of the first thief and broke the bones of the second thief. But when they got to Christ, he was already dead. So his bones were not broken. Again, the Passover lambs bones must not be broken. He is that representative on the cross. Everything God was doing in the Old Testament was a reality, a type of the reality to come. Are you here? Glory be to Jesus. We need to understand these things so that we can understand whatever God was doing in the Old Testament. As I always say, the key to understanding the Bible is to understand that the Old Testament is the New Testament conceived and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. When you have this rule, it helps you to understand your Bible. Glory be to Jesus. So some things in the Old Testament, we no longer practice them because they are part of the ceremonial laws and Christ has fulfilled all. Hallelujah. Glory be to Jesus. That's why Isaac, for example, is a type of Christ. He is the only begotten of his father. Amen. As for Ishmael, he was borrowed, remember. Don't, don't, don't let an Ishmael come in. Don't try to help God. Anytime you try to help God, an Ishmael will be born. And the Bible says Ishmael and his mother began to mock at Sarah. May you be delivered from wrong decisions that will produce Ishmaels that will mock you later on. And the Bible tells us that God then told Abraham to give up his only begotten son. God told him, take your only son, your only son Isaac. Ah, but there was Ishmael. You see, God's verdict is still correct. It is still Isaac and not Ishmael. And he says, your only begotten son, take him and offer him as a sacrifice for me. Remember that Isaac, therefore, carried the wood on himself. He carried the wood alone. Jesus carried the cross alone. And he says, to a place I will show you. And I can tell you today that the very place where Abraham took Isaac to... It's that very place that is called Calvary, Golgotha today. That very same place. Moriah, Mount Moriah is the same location as Calvary. Praise God. And that's why Abraham made that prophetic statement when Isaac asked, Father, this is the wood. And this is the fire. But where is the lamb? 
Then Abraham said, God will make himself a sacrifice for the, for the, for the sacrifice. He, God will provide for himself a sacrifice. He will provide himself. And indeed, the son of God was provided as a sacrifice. Amen. So when we see these things in the Old Testament, it tells us to give, I'm doing this to give you an understanding of what I'm about to share with you. Amen. Hallelujah. So if we keep, if we keep the ceremonial laws, it doesn't save us. But the moral laws, they passed through the cross. They didn't end at the cross. Thou shalt not kill is still relevant today. Hallelujah. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not do all those things. Those things are still real because they are the very nature and character of God. That is what he wants us to walk in. Amen. And if we become worshippers of God, I want us to be worshippers in action. In the name of Jesus. Don't treat the grace of God for granted. I want you to look at one or two things and we come to Galatians. I want you to first of all, please look at Ephesians chapter 4 and the verse number 1. May you be a real Christian this morning, a worshiper of God in Jesus' name. But the Bible says, therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, I beg you or beseech you to lead a life worthy of your calling. Is that in your Bible? Walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. When we become Christians, we must walk worthy of the calling of a Christian. You have to walk worthy of the fact that you are called by the name of the Lord. You are called by the name of the Lord. The prisoner of the Lord. May we be prisoners of the Lord and not prisoners of the world. The prisoner of the Lord. When you are a prisoner, you behave like a prisoner. If people see you, they will tell that you are a prisoner. Your, what you wear is changed. When you go to a prison, you see that they are in prison uniform. Sometimes it's not very easy to be a pastor. When you have to go to prison to visit people. Especially when members of the church break the law. And the police have to call you. It's sad. When, on the three occasions where members of this church has broken the law, the police calls me. And interestingly, those members give my name to the police as next of kin. They have never informed me. Police just call and say, yes, this is Plumstead Police. Is that Reverend James Hansen Saki? I said, yes. Uh, one of your members, so and so, has given your name as next of kin, is in custody. Would you be able to get here within the next 20 minutes? Say, hey, deadline to on me. What have I done? And sometimes you have to go to prison to go and visit them. And dogs will have to sniff you. Once I went to Pastor Jesse, she almost cried. She said, is this what we have to go through before we get it? I said, yes. Hey, dogs. And all kinds of things. Searches. Strip you completely. So you want to make sure you are not carrying anything. I said, I am a priest. He said, yes, some people can come with the name of a priest and they carry some drugs to come and give to them. Oh, Charlie, it's not easy. <laughs> but when you get in there, you see them in uniform. They have changed what they are wearing and they have put something on them to identify them. May we be prisoners of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said, I am a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. I therefore beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Hallelujah. When you become born again, you have been called by God. And there are different callings of God, but the basic calling of God is that we have been called to be worshippers of God. We have been called to serve God. Sometime later, later as we serve God, we may be called to be pastors or apostles or prophets or teachers or evangelists. But every one of them that ever became a pastor was first and foremost a Christian. Amen. Hallelujah. You can't be any other thing. The Bible says that we are prisoners of the Lord Jesus Christ. For serving the Lord, I beg you to lead a life. That means we have been called to lead a life worthy of our calling. Worthy of our calling. Soldiers are not allowed to sit on public transport. It's part of their, their rules. 
in Ghana, have you seen a soldier city on Trot Rock before? Dicky Maswell, when you were a soldier, were you sitting on Trot <laughs> your boss, your, your boss will catch you. Not with, not with uniform. If you wear the uniform, you can't enter certain places. Amen. You can't. In fact, you, 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 can't, you can't wear wedding dress as a nurse or midwife to work. No matter how beautiful the dress is, you know you can't wear it to, to the place. And you can't say, I have my rights. No, no, your, your job description means that you cannot be in high heels running around that place. No, 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 you will fall down. You are, you, you, there will be too many risks. So you, you are allowed to dress in some funny way if you are going to surgery. Have you seen surgeons, the way they dress? Wonderful. Very wonderful. Who goes to town to buy such a dress? But that's what you need to wear to be able to, to work in the theater. Because you, can, you can't dress the way I have dressed. You can't wear suit, no matter how beautiful you like it. Because there are rules of engagement in every area. You have been called by God and you must live a life worthy of the calling. Amen. Glory be to Jesus. Now I want us to quickly now look at Galatians chapter 5. From verse 5 to 26. And I'll be reading from the New Living Translation version of the Holy Bible. The Bible says, but we who live by the Spirit. See, I'm preaching this message today. You know that I preach a lot on holiness. But I'm teaching you this because of an encounter I had with the Lord this week. And in that vision, I saw a lot of members of the church running away from what they should defeat. Running away from an enemy who is not so strong, so powerful, but you are being defeated each and every time you try. And this thing is just blocking people's paths, standing in the doorways, standing in many places. And when you all move, then you fall down. And it's overcoming you. And then the Lord said, it is because they are not walking worthy of the calling. So they don't have the authority over the enemy. And that's why I'm sharing with you this morning that you need to consistently and conscientiously walk in the nature of Christ. That is the only way to defeat the enemy. Because there were some people in Acts chapter 19, they still used the name of Jesus and the devil defeated them. A demon beat seven of them and they ran away. They still use the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus is powerful, but it's not a formula for everybody to use. Those who use the name of Jesus must carry the nature of Christ. It is not the rod, it is the holder of the rod. The Bible says, Elisha said to his servant, when the news came to him that the woman's son had died, the woman who previously, 2 Kings chapter 5 is where I'm talking to you from now. The Bible says, this great woman of Shunem, the Bible says she, Elijah, Elisha was, was someone who she hosted in her house. And at one point, Elisha looked at the fact that this woman has blessed him so much, provided accommodation anytime he comes to town. And he said to his servant, what can we do for this woman? For all the good things she has done, for receiving the servant of God and blessing the servant of God. And then he was told that they don't have a child. And that the husband is also very, very old. And the woman is also great in age. And Elisha called her and said, because of the things you have done for me, next year by this time, you will embrace a son. And the Bible says exactly one year later, the woman became pregnant and had a child. That she became pregnant and had a child exactly one year later. And the Bible says after some time, this boy reported headache. And then he died suddenly one afternoon. This woman of faith, the Bible says she put the child, the boy in a room and she sat on a donkey and went to the city where Elisha was and she approached Elisha and Elisha said, is everything well? She continued to speak by faith and said, it is well. Even though she knew what she said left behind was not well, but she spoke by faith. And the Bible says that Elisha then said to his servant who was Gehazi, remember Gehazi? He's a servant of Elisha. He should have received quadruple portion of the anointing because for Elisha he served Elijah faithfully and he received a double portion of the anointing that was on Elijah but Gehazi then should have carried triple or quadruple portion but he was not a good guy 
He was a liar. He was working with the man of God, but his heart and conduct was not right. The Bible says when the miracle that was performed on Naaman, the leper from Syria, when he came to give offering to the prophet, the prophet said, this is not the time for me to receive offering, so you, you can go. The Bible says, Gehazi said, what? My master has let the Syrian go. The man is very rich and he didn't collect anything. He left the house and went to chase the man and said to him, master has sent me that he has got some business. He needs some gold, he needs some things, and they gave it to him. And Elisha picked him up by word of knowledge and cursed him later on. It was a bad behavior. You see, he's not living in line with the spirit of God that they were serving. But the Bible tells us that when Elisha was told that the son of the woman had died, he had a staff in his hands. He gave it to Gehazi and said, run ahead, go to the house and put it on the boy that the boy should come back to life. The Bible says, Gehazi ran to the house with the staff in his hands. He went, he laid hands on the boy, no show. Until Elisha himself arrived, took the same staff, put it on the boy, stretched himself and prayed, and the boy came back to life. It is not the rod, it is the holder of the rod. It is not the oil, it is the one holding the oil. There are levels of the anointing. And I came to announce to you, this thing I saw that was defeating members of the church, God is calling us back to the place of holy living. Proper living so that you can overcome because holiness is the very nature of God. That's why Satan can never defeat God. Because that's the nature of God. Hallelujah. Glory be to Jesus. And so, this is why we need to respect the practice of holy living. Galatians chapter 5 verse 5 to 26. But we who live by the spirit. Eagerly wait to receive by faith. The righteousness God has promised to us. Verse 6. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus. There is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. Amen. Glory be to Jesus. So when we practice circumcision today. It is not because of in the command of God. It is for healthy reasons and medical reasons and cultural reasons. Are, are you here? Glory be to Jesus. All right, okay. Let's leave circumcision before your mind becomes something else. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. Verse number seven. You were running the race so well. He's telling the church in Galatia. You were running, in fact, in chapter four, he has told them who has bewitched you. That you started very well in the spirit and now you have become too much in the flesh. And he says that you were running the race so well, who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for he is the one who called you to freedom. This false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads throughout the whole batch of dough. I am trusting the Lord to keep you from believing false teachings. This morning I came as a servant of God to announce to you, you must stop believing false teachings. See, some people are preaching that once we are saved in Christ, we are free to do anything. It is not true. Hallelujah. Because Jesus didn't die that shameful, painful, brutal, humiliating death so that we can live anyway, anyhow. Then what's the point? The Bible says we are the light of the world. Light cannot look like darkness. If there's any light that looks like darkness, something is wrong with the light. And sometimes some of us look like darkness. There's no difference between us and unbelievers. May the Holy Spirit help us. Because the reason why you are losing certain spiritual battles is that you are not living like light. And it's because we are believing, I, I have myself and whatever I like, I can do with it. No, the Bible says you are not your own. You have been bought by Christ with a price. That's why Paul said, I'm a prisoner of Christ. In other translations, he says, I am a slave of Christ. I am owned by Christ. Holy Spirit, help the church in the name of Jesus. May you be a victorious Christian. Not because you just use the name of Jesus, but because you are carrying the nature of Christ and acting in line with that. The Bible says we mustn't believe false teachings. 
throughout the New Testament, we see the word of God clearly warning about unholy living. So if we are just saved, that once saved, forever saved, it's not true. You mean once I'm saved, I can murder. I can choose to now marry seven. I just need to inform her that I want to add six more. <laughs> She's already shaking her head. Said, no way. <laughs> uh, I can't tell her this. <laughs> she herself, she's a whole republic. <laughs> if you marry somebody, you realize that it depends it's a whole republic to handle. Then you want to add six. What is wrong with you? That man you are living with, don't you see that it's difficult sometimes to handle? And by the time you add the children to it, you realize that this is a tough work for you. Then you want to add four. Hey, Charlie, are you really going to love them equally? Praise Jesus. The Bible says that verse 11, verse 10, sorry. God will judge that person, whoever he is, who has been confusing you. Verse 11. Dear brothers and sisters, if I were still preaching that you must be circumcised, as some say I do, why am I still being persecuted? If I were no longer preaching salvation through the cross of Christ, no one would be offended. I just wish that those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision will mutilate themselves. Verse 13. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Is that in your Bible? Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. We should use our freedom in Christ to serve one another in love. This is the beginning of the nature of Christ. In love. And then he says, verse 14, for the whole law, the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law, the whole of the moral laws has got to, has only one meaning. Love your neighbor as yourself. Because if you love your neighbor as yourself, you shall not steal. Isn't it? So when it's all that thou shalt not in the Ten Commandments, the summary of it is love. Because if I truly love you, I will not covet my neighbor's properties. Amen. I will not commit adultery. Why, why would I take somebody else's wife? That's wickedness, isn't it? Yeah. Why should I be sleeping with all the young girls in the church? Am I not sensible enough to know that they are potential wives of all the young boys in the church? Eh, how can you say you are father and you are sleeping with your daughters? Second. Amen. You are a very wicked pastor. As my friends from Nigeria will say. This pastor is wicked. You are wicked. You are wicked to all the young men in the church. Wicked. So the scripture says, all the thou shall not, you shall not kill. If you have love, you won't kill. Amen. Why do we kill? Because of things we came to meet in the world. The only reason we kill is to take something that doesn't belong to us. Somebody has annoyed you so much. Over what? Over what that you want to kill? So you see, the Bible says the whole law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Praise Jesus. Then he says something very interesting. Verse 15. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. Hallelujah. Beware of destroying one another. When you have the spirit of God in you and you conduct yourself as a worshiper of God, you should not slander one another. You should not destroy the image of one another. You should not destroy, you should not character assassinate one another. See, it is a very 
it is a dangerous and a murderous act to, to lie about someone else. That's why the Bible says that you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. It's murder. It's wickedness. It's the destruction of integrity of people. You know, people have labored hard to gain a certain reputation. You don't destroy it by lies. Amen. It is not a Christian spirit in Jesus' name. People have destroyed other people so that they lose their marriages. People have destroyed others because they were in a relationship and they didn't get theirs. Their own, if your own has income, celebrate the one whose own has come. But to go and be a bad friend and now go and tell the guy, you know, you see, see my friend is my friend. He's been my friend for a very long time. And I know her very, very well. In fact, I know her very, very, very well. And I'm telling you, see, despite everything, it's a dangerous thing you are moving in to marry her. It's dangerous. I don't know why you didn't see me, but, uh, but I want you to know that she's dangerous. And you see, this is what the world does, but sadly, it comes into church too. It comes into church too. May we be a church that really reflects the very character of Christ. In the name of Jesus. No matter what happens, don't be tempted to destroy anybody's reputation. Hallelujah. Don't be tempted. See, there was someone that left our church. And he was spreading all kinds of evil against us. Which is not true. Every time I say, I wish it is even true. But it's not true. Now, the person has forgotten that he has put in an application to the home office. And I am actually the guarantor. So, three months or four months after he has left and done all those things, home office now calls and says, um, yes, the application has come. I'm the caseworker. Um, would you be able to vouch for this person? And I feel like, my God, have they played into my hands? It should just be a flat no, and that's it for him. And I told the officer, I'll come back to you tomorrow. He said, what time should we call tomorrow? I said, 3 p.m. So the night, I was just thinking, this guy has just been wicked to us. Father, is this your will that I should just pay him back? <laughs> Whatsoever a man so that's how what shall, shall he reap? But I just said to myself, no, let me be a Christian. Let me not pay him back in the same way he has done. Amen. So at dawn, as the thing wakes up and taps me before prayer and said, So what are you going to do about the thing? I said, I've decided to just call them and tell them he's fine. They should proceed. I can vouch for him. He said, no, that's exactly what I, that's why I woke you up. I wanted to tell you, you know what? Let's give it to him. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank God for good wives. Amen. And that's what I did. At three o'clock, they called. I said, everything is fine. Go ahead. Proceed. Do everything. Put in all the good works for him. He's enjoying today, but he doesn't know that we have done this. Because I know that God, who is a righteous judge, I will not bring myself for the enemy to trap me. Hallelujah. Vengeance belongs to God, not me. But I will do what I have to do. I want us to be Christians in that context. Because you see, we've also found out from experience that sometimes what goes round comes round. Hallelujah. May we be genuine Christians. May we be Christians in the name of Jesus. Because when God gives us opportunity and privileges, it's not to harm another, but it's to help one another. So the Bible says, let's not devour one another. Beware of destroying one another. Verse 16, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. When it says walk in the spirit, it doesn't mean that we walk. 
No, he says, let the Holy Spirit guide your life. The Holy Spirit guide your behavior. The Holy Spirit guide your conduct. So long as we are in this world, we will be tempted. Let the voice of the Holy Spirit be the most dominant voice. Let the Holy Spirit guide your behavior. Then you are walking in the Spirit. In Jesus' name. And if you will let the Holy Spirit guide you, I'm telling you, you are going to be very angry for some time until you get used to the Holy Spirit. And when I say angry, because your, your natural desire and your human instinct will want to do something, but the Holy Spirit say, no, not, not this time. See, like, like this thing that I just told you about. As if I really want to be a proper gun. The home office would have heard signs and wonders. But you don't. You let the Holy Spirit override your flesh. Amen. And submit to the voice of the Holy Spirit. May God help us. When we choose the path of allowing the Holy Spirit to dictate our conduct we move into a higher level of blessing. The Bible says, therefore, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Amen. Let the Holy Spirit, and you will know the word of God was authored by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit won't speak outside the word of God. The Holy Spirit will tell you, not this time. That's what the Bible says, not insult for insult. So someone insults you, the natural reaction is to insult back, isn't it? But the Holy Spirit says, keep quiet. Say, ah, if I keep quiet, he has won. <laughs> keep quiet. Walk away. Ah, why should I walk away? No, you walk away. Hallelujah. Walk away. You know, as we were growing up, there was an adage in secondary school that don't argue with a fool. People might not know the difference. <laughs> It's like a madman insults you, you two are insulting back. No, people won't tell anymore. Which one of you is mad? <laughs> so be on a higher level in Jesus' name. When you allow the Holy Spirit to guide you, you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Our sinful nature craves things. Verse 17, the sinful nature wants to do evil. Please bear in mind, this was not written to unbelievers. This was written to Christians. The Apostle Paul was writing to the church in Galatia. All the people he was writing to, they are born again. And yet he's telling them that we still have a sinful nature. We are still in this world. When we get born again, our physical body did not get born again. It was your human spirit that got saved. And depending on how old you were when you got saved, your, human, your flesh has a lot of experience with sin. Amen. So the taste of alcohol does not change on your tongue. <laughs> Insults and stuff, they don't change on your tongue. It's there. The, so you allow the Holy Spirit to override the flesh. Anytime the flesh wants to do something, you override it. <laughs> hey, this Christianity. The Bible says the sinful nature wants to do evil. Which is just the opposite of what the spirit of God wants. So the spirit that is now in you fights the flesh or the flesh is in contention with it. Because the flesh wants to do something. The spirit of God in you wants to do something else. And it's a struggle but we will grow and mature into that. In the name of Jesus. The spirit gives us good, the desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Holy Spirit, verse 18, the Bible says that you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. The Holy Spirit does not subject us to this ceremonial laws. You are a higher level. You are at a higher level. Amen. And he says some few things here. He says that when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. 
when so two things, one of two things lead us every time. Either our sinful nature, which is in our flesh, is either leading us, or the spirit of God who is in our spirit man is the one leading us. And it says when we allow the flesh to lead us, the results of the flesh leading you are very clear. And it says that verse 18, verse 19, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality. Throughout the scriptures, the Bible talks about sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is classified under adultery and fornication. These are twins brothers. Sexual immorality. Scripture throughout warns about that. Our human nature has got its desires. It is a normal human nature to have sexual cravings. It is normal. But it is supposed to be in the context of marriage. Amen. Satan has made it very look very, very attractive on the streets. But anytime God warns about something, there are consequences. Are you here? And like Paul said, there are times that we have done these things in our ignorance. But now when we become aware of that, we submit ourselves to the spirit of God to bring us to the right place. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. So the works of the flesh, the, the, the manifestations of flesh leading you results in these things. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness. And when he talks about uncleanness, he's not talking about the fact that you woke up and didn't sweep your room. But he's talking about immorality. Under uncleanness, you have got all those things under lesbianism and homosexuality and all of them, they, they fall under this. And as a church, we have to teach it. Are you here? Yeah, this is what God's word says. God's word says that. The other day I was teaching this on television. I did four parts of it. And we had all the calls coming in from the gay community. They were insulting me. Insulting those that were picking the calls. And they were very, very intolerant. And we still insist. Even before you speak, they start insulting you. So what kind of nonsense are you spewing over there? That's one man with a very big baritone voice. What kind of nonsense are you spewing over there? What was Jesus doing with 12 men? I said, you see, you see how easy it is for you to abuse my faith. And when we touch yours, you go and hide behind extreme views. I said, you are holding extreme views to accuse my savior. Why don't you dare the Muslims? Because you know they will come with bombs and knives. And we are very calm and turning the right cheek so you think you can shout what you are shouting. You are alluding that my savior is in gay relationship with 12 men. And I'm preaching the word of God and you are getting angry. And just hang up. Next day we get a call from the office of the deputy prime minister. First, they called the broadcasting station and said to them, we must stop the next session. And that we are offending the sensibilities of this community. And then this office calls. And I said, well, we are not stopping. I told the TV station, if you break it, we will sue you because our contract says we determine. And we haven't broken any contract. So if you break it, we will sue you. I said, okay, but the officer, I said, let them call. So the office of deputy prime minister, they called. Said, off come. All those people, they were talking on the phone with their lawyers. I said, hold on, we are not stopping it. He said, do you understand the legal implications? I said, I understand. We shall go to court and prove it. He said, do you realize what? I said, listen, don't threaten me. Have you listened to the message yourself? He said, but the reports, I said, have you listened to the message yourself? Did you realize I was punctuating every statement with the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. So let's go to court. If the Bible is outlawed in the UK, then I will hold up my hands that I'm preaching from an illegal book. But so long as the Bible has not been outlawed in the United Kingdom, we shall preach from it. That's why you must preach from what God's word says. The Bible says. 
And I told her, I said, when the Bible says something, when we say God's word says it's a sin, we haven't asked anybody to kill them. We must be given the chance to also say we disagree. Is it not a democracy? Why should we accept everything that is pushed down our throat? Amen. I said, we are not against them. So, but they said, you said it's a sin. I said, sin, sin means it is unacceptable. You don't understand. Let me decode it. This is the religious language. But the last time the prime minister said that parents should rob in their children and what the boys are doing, routing on the streets was not right when they were destroying some things in, in, in uh, North London and Brixton. And the prime minister said that parents should make sure their children should stay in. They are not doing what is right. No, what they are doing is not right. It's unacceptable. I said the religious language for unacceptable is sin. So where is the offense here? I said, if the prime minister was religious, he would have said what the boys were doing was sinful. Praise God. And part two came on, part three came on, part four. Yeah, sometimes they followed me and insulted me, but it doesn't matter. Praise Jesus. I have to call the police for help, but that is all. That they don't kill me. Because I'm not ready to die now. I've got more messages in me to preach. In the name of Jesus. Amen. So the Bible says that sexual immorality, impurity, let's end this quickly, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, idolatry, worshipping either idols. And sometimes this is not only some image that you are bowing to, but whatever is taking the place of God in your life, whatever is having preference to God in your life is idol worship. The Bible says, this fleshly nature, this is what it produces. When it's leading you, it produces these things in us. And ladies and gentlemen, we are born again. Some of these things that are listed here, we are finding ourselves doing some of them. Lustful thoughts. The Bible says, sorcery. Using satanic powers to predict the future. Moving into magic and all those things. Hostility. Hostility, quarrels between members in church, quarreling, jealousies, hey, jealous, there's jealousy in church, oh. it shouldn't happen, but jealousy, jealousy, you let Elsie go and buy Tesla, some people will stop talking to her, yeah, oh yeah, hey, some time ago somebody bought a car, somebody is not talking to her, hey, that's it, it's finished. May the Lord deliver us from such things in the name of Jesus. This spirit of if it is not me, it can't be you. It's not of God. When we celebrate others who get promoted, God will also open doors for us. Yeah. One of our friends in America told us a funny story. She's a pastor's wife. Her husband too is just like me. Sometimes very, very troublesome. Mischievous and funny. And there's this couple in the church. They, every time they are boasting, they have got this property in Ghana. They've got this, they've got that. And this couple were very quiet. Cool. And when they went to Ghana, they said, oh, they want to bless them with some land. So they, blood, they blessed them with a piece of land. And then they went to show them their house that they have been talking about, that they have built. And they showed them and all that. So when they finished, then this, our friend's husband to say, oh, uh, come and see what we have also built. When they took them to the pastor's home, my God, mind blowing. <laughs> From that day, this couple stopped talking to pastor and his wife. That's it. They stopped. They even regret that they already changed the name on the land and given it. They would have taken it back. <laughs> you see, some people. As soon as you bring them to your quarters and they see what God is doing, then they too, they change. Listen, when you see someone has been blessed, be happy. Amen. Be happy. When you are happy, God will also make others be happy for you by opening doors for you. In Jesus' name. Yeah. You shouldn't be the only married person among your friends. And stop disturbing them with your... And my husband and my husband and... Adam, instantly. Pray for them to, to get there so that they too they can say they are husband. You want to be the only person that says husband? Jealousy. 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 
May God deliver you from jealousy in Jesus' name. The Bible says, let's finish this. Quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger. Be a Christian in Jesus' name. No matter the provocation, self-control is key. In Jesus' name. Confusions, misunderstandings, divisions. May there be unity. The Bible says in verse 21, envy, drunkenness. Hey! This is the elephant in the room. Drunkenness. Drunkenness. Wild parties. The old King James called them orgies. And other sins like this. Other sins like this. Drunkenness. Say, oh, they said we can't drink, but we shouldn't get drunken. How do you marry the two? Anybody that got drunk started drinking. Isn't it? But when we are Christians, we need to bear that in mind. Because sometimes we have got Christians that compromise these things. Who do you want to please? God or your friends? Are we here? See, this is the difference. Sometimes you see Muslims who do this and they, they will tell you clearly, we, we are not doing this. And they haven't lost their friends. It's not about you, it's about God. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. But I thought, what are you looking for in that bottle? Something that when you are sane and you take it in, suddenly you become insane. Something that can make you lose a balance. Something that can destroy you until doctors tell you, don't touch it again, otherwise you will die. Why? Are you here? What is this thing that you only want in your head? As soon as it enters, you start seeing things double, double. And now people that you are shy of, you can tell them off. Why can't you have joy without that bottle? Do we need to buy that to have joy? But listen, the Bible tells us one thing. The Bible says, please look at something. Let's look at something. Ah, James, what's inside? What can I do with this guy? The Bible says in Leviticus chapter 10, verse 8, because I touch on alcohol, let me touch it there. I know I've preached on alcohol itself already. But when we become Christians, we have to understand God's word. In Jesus' name. Leviticus chapter 10 verse 8 to 10, it says, Then the Lord said to Aaron, Now Aaron was the first high priest. And so from his line, all his children become priests. Leviticus 10, Then the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, You and your descendants, these are the priests, must not drink wine or any other alcoholic drink before going into the tabernacle. If you do, you will die. This is a permanent law for you and it must be observed from generation to generation. You must distinguish between what is sacred and what is common, between what is ceremonially clean and what is clean. Hallelujah. Glory be to Jesus. Take us to the verse 9. Let's see what is there. Go back. So the scripture says the priest should not partake of this. In fact, Ezekiel, Ezekiel 44, 21. Ezekiel 44, 21. What is this man doing this afternoon? No priest shall drink wine when he enters the inner court. Now, people used to say, oh, okay, he says only when they enter the tabernacle. So it means when they come out of it, they can booze. I just told you that everything we see in the Old Testament is a type of the real one to come, isn't it? So the temple in the Old Testament was a three-part temple, isn't it? The tabernacle was also a three-part one. The tabernacle was the temporary one. The temple was the permanent one. The, temp the tabernacle is what they were moving with when they left Egypt and they were coming from Mount Sinai. They had to, but it is still has three parts. It has the innermost place, which is the most holy place. Then it has the holy place, 
then it has the outer court, three parts. Then when the temple was actually constructed, you see three parts again. The most holy place where God meets the people, the prophets or the priests. Then we come to the inner court and then you've got the outer court. Now when we come into the New Testament where the real temple is, that's why God is not worried that the temple that was constructed in Jerusalem, currently when you go there, it's not there because we don't have to face Jerusalem to worship the Lord for the Spirit of God has come to dwell inside us and the Bible says, says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and the verse number 3, the 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians chapter 6, let's take it from verse 19. It says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Is that there? Who is in you, who you have from God, and you are not your own? First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Let's add that one too and see what the temple now is. It says, do you not know that your body is there? A specific word. A definite article. Your body as a Christian is now the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you. Have you noticed you are a three-part being? You are a spirit, soul, and you have a body just like the temple and the spirit of God in the original temple is in the innermost place. That's where the Shekinah glory is. When the spirit of God comes into your life as a Christian who is born again, he comes into your innermost being. So you are now permanently in the temple. And the Bible says, everyone that is born again, we have been created as priests and kings. Are you here? And, and, and that is enough to settle this question of alcohol. In Jesus' name. You are a priest now and you are permanently in this temple. The Old Testament says the priest should not enter the temple by drinking alcohol. Now you are permanently, you are not coming out. When you move, the temple has moved. Habakkuk 2.15 says, Woe unto you that give strong drink to your neighbor. Please put it up there for the drinkers in the house. Ladies and gentlemen, let's be Christians in the name of Jesus. Let us be Christians. Let us be Christians. Let us be Christians. Let us be. Listen, and defend that position. Be a worshiper of God. Be a worshiper of God. Those who worship other things, even when they lose certain people, the king will not go and see their body because of certain rules. Certain rules. When my father-in-law died, my mom once said, at that time she said, okay, now we, because we are royal, we have to pack certain things to go and greet your wife's family and everything. But do we have to take some alcohol too? I said, no. No alcohol. So, oh, but I said, I am not there in person, but it is not happening everything will be converted to cash. So I said, man, what, what, why do you want to insist on that? He said, well, because you're a royal. I said, yeah, I'm a royal priesthood. I said, listen, if I worship some other God and that God hates alcohol, would you be insisting? Why do you want to flout my rule? The God I serve, this is his instruction. I'm living by it. Ladies and gentlemen, let us serve God in truth. In Jesus' name. He said, ah, and how about tobacco? It's not in the Bible. It says, and other things like this. In Jesus' name. And other things like this. As soon as you have the wild parties, all the other things can happen. You know, when you drink alcohol, you can do foolish things. Yeah, there's some, there some church the other day, they, they, they had a meeting. They had a baby dedication or something. The people were drinking alcohol. And then, I wasn't surprised when later on, news of certain things is happening in that church. See, because when you are drunk, you can hold somebody's wife's breast too. In church, it's possible. And that is what was happening. That started happening there. Eh? You are drunk. Before you are, you are taking your mouth to somebody's mouth that you shouldn't be taking to. What kind of madness is this? Woe to him who gives his neighbor drink, pressing him to your bottle. The Bible says, woe. Let's be Christians in Jesus' name. But you are now in the temple. I say you are now in the temple. Yeah. Listen. If, if you have been smoking, may God help you to stop it. In Jesus' name. 
Because it's not a normal thing to do. Eh? Even nature doesn't like smoke. The locomotive brings out the smoke. Your boiler in the house is bringing out the, don't you see, you see people's houses, the smoke is coming out. They don't want to take it in, they are taking it out. Grass cutters, that Mr. Maxwell has been chasing in those days. When you put smoke inside the hole, it brings them out. They don't want to stay, they, they even they don't want to have it. We breathe out carbon dioxide and take it oxygen, isn't it? And smoke is full of carbon. So what, who, who just made you have desire for something that can kill? And strangely too, you get into the shops. Sometimes I walk in those places and my wife says, be careful. Say, Yo, I'm, I'm studying the price of these things. <laughs> but I just get into a shop and, and I start going into those areas, the alcohol areas and the tobacco areas. Somebody will see this man of God walking here. What does he want here? I want to check the prices. But what surprises me is the fact that it's written now clearly, tobacco kills and you are buying it. It's amazing. They are selling something that they have announced it kills and people still go and buy. May God deliver you. In the name of Jesus. This time they have told you clear, this one kills. And it's amazing that government is allowing something that kills to be sold in a shop. It's, a, it's strange. <laughs> and people go to get it. It tells you how the devil controls the lives of people. May the Lord deliver us in Jesus' name. May we be Christians that don't compromise these standards in the mighty name of Jesus. And we must be led by the Spirit of God to be true worshippers of God in Jesus' name. Look at the conclusion. It says, let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Church, he was writing to Christians. He said, those who live this, may we be true worshippers of God. And this morning you may have heard this word say, eh, I didn't hear it like that before. This is why God brought the message. This is not to condemn you, but to make you aware of God's standards for us. In the name of Jesus.